0: Chapter 33 of the Life and Adventures of Michael Armstrong. This is a LibriVox recording. Chapter 33 A Tete a Tete, a Second, a Third, a Mysterious Result. Conclusion. Delightful as was this state of mind to all that shared it, it could not last. Michael was too much in earnest in his dread of being a burden upon Miss Brotherton to permit many days to pass before he begged her to let him converse with her for a few moments in private. And Mary, who had already seen quite enough to convince her that the affection which Michael and Fanny had conceived for each other amidst the dreary misery of the deep valley mill, was not likely to be forgotten in the gay happiness of niece, fully anticipated an humble confession on the part of Michael, that he could not be happy without her permission to become the acknowledged lover of her charming friend and protégé, and, very amiable, frank, and noble-minded, did she consider it in him, thus openly, to avow the truth at once BUT NOTHING COULD BE FURTHER FROM THE THOUGHTS OF MICHAEL THAN MAKING ANY SUCH CONFESSION AS THIS, WHICH IT MAY BE OBSERVED IS BY NO MEANS SAYING THAT HIS HEART WAS EITHER INNOCENT OR UNCONSCIOUS OF THE presumptuous PASSION SHE ATTRIBUTED TO IT. GREATLY, HOWEVER, DID MISS BROTHERTON UNDERRATE THE YOUNG MAN'S CHARACTER WHEN SHE CONCEIVED THAT THE GRACIOUS FAVOR WITH WHICH SHE HAD RECEIVED HIM COULD GENERATE IN HIS HEART A WISH TO ASK FOR MORE. IT IS TAKING A GREAT LIBERTY, MADAM, BEGAN MICHAEL. If you love me, do not call me madam, my dear Michael, she replied. Do you not perceive that Edward and Fanny both call me Mary? Until I had taught them to do so, I never could feel that they quite understood the true spirit of my attachment towards them, or the mode and manner of existence which I have imagined for myself, and which must have fallen to the ground, if I had found them incapable of being to me, or letting me be to them all that I wished and desired. You must not, dearest Michael, come and shake this perfect and delightful union, introducing forms and ceremonies foreign to our manners and our feelings. Pray do not look so grave, dear friend. Promise to offend us no more, and I will cease to scold you. Dearest Miss Brotherton, said Michael. But this did not satisfy the exigeant lady, who shook her head and held up her finger in reproof. Dearest Mary, then, he resumed, colouring brightly and with a smile that made her think she could trace a family likeness to Edward. The greatest wish I have on earth is to become such as you might approve, and if I shrink from the dear and precious familiarity which must make Edward and Fanny so happy, think not that I am incapable of loving you as perfectly as they do. But remember, dearest lady, that however humble their origin, the very circumstance of their having been your honored companion for years, is of itself sufficient to raise them to such a tone of thinking and of manners as may in some sort, justify their using the privilege you so graciously afford. But, alas, you must know too well that the case is far different with me. The overflowing joy of our first meeting naturally broke down as it were all inequalities, all boundaries, and I certainly felt and perhaps spoke as if I too were one of the accomplished little circle that might call this earthly paradise their home. But reflection will come, most generous Mary, if not amidst the happy intoxicating moments of the day— It will make itself a voice in the quiet reasoning meditations of the night, and so loudly has this voice been heard by me that I cannot—no, in spite of all the happiness that surrounds me, I cannot live on thus, an idle, ignorant dependent on your bounty. The heiress was half-vexed, but more than half-pleased by this trembling address, the deep sincerity of which was testified by the working features of a countenance more than commonly expressive of all that passed within— She had enjoyed so much genuine happiness since the arrival of Michael, and had watched with pleasure so exquisite the happiness of Edward and Fanny that she almost trembled at the idea of any change. Yet she knew the boy was right. She knew that he ought to apply himself immediately and strenuously to such studies as were most necessary for the redeeming the time he had lost, and so well aware was she of this that, notwithstanding her unwillingness to part with him, She rejoiced heartily to find that she was wrong as to the subject on which she had suspected he wished to speak. Had she been right in her conjecture, all she could have done would have been to endow the boy and girl with such a portion of her wealth as might have sufficed to make them independent, but under such circumstances, all notion of essential improvement must of course be abandoned forever, and for many reasons this would have been a source of lasting regret to her. It was therefore with cordial approbation that after the interval of a few minutes she replied. Michael, you are right. Nature has done so much for you, my dear friend, that our wish to keep you constantly with us might easily, had you shown less courage, have tempted us to fancy that you wanted nothing which you have not got, or which we could not give you. But you are quite right in refusing to consent to this. We will immediately return to Germany, where you shall be placed at the same admirable institution that so rapidly made your brother what you now see him. Two years of well-directed devotion to study, my dear Michael, "'will perhaps make you feel more at your ease among us, "'though I doubt if it can produce any change "'which will make us love you better.' "'Miss Brotherton, dearest Miss Brotherton,' exclaimed Michael, "'while perhaps the brightest beam of hope "'that ever yet shot from his eyes "'met hers as she affectionately gazed upon him. "'That was not what I, what I dared venture to hope and ask for.' What you now propose would be a happiness, the idea of which I think I should have turned from, even in my dreams, from shame at its towering ambition. All I meant to ask was, your kind aid to place me in some business where I might earn a maintenance, that in a year or two might prevent my being a burden to you, and now- And now, Michael, I tell you fairly, that I have not the slightest intention of doing any such thing. Besides, my own particular objection to such a mode of proceeding, I have lately heard a little anecdote of you from your friend Martha, which makes it very doubtful whether you deserve that species of independence, for she put it in your possession once, you know, and you could not keep it. I shall manage better, Michael, depend upon it. One week more of idleness in this sweet spot, and then we travel back to Germany. You shall not be left to study in a more forsaken condition than was your brother, "'We shall be within an easy distance of you, my dear Michael. "'One corner of my castle must hold us, while another is beautified, "'and it is likely enough the work will go on all the better for our being there. "'And your visit to Rome given up for my sake?' cried Michael. "'Oh, no, no, no!' "'No, no, no, most certainly,' replied Mary, laughing. "'I would not give up that journey, Michael, for more than I will say. "'Quote, All is not lost that is delayed.' "'Instead of giving up the plan, I only mean to improve it. "'Tell me, and tell me honestly, dear Michael, "'do you not think in your heart that we shall, one and all, "'enjoy this journey more if you are with us?' "'Mary!' exclaimed the boy, wholly overcome, "'and seizing and kissing her hand with an emotion "'that at once and for ever banished all reserve. "'Mary, it is your will to be loved, and who can disobey? "'But my happiness seems greater than I can bear. "'Where is Edward?' Let me walk and talk with him. He is used to you, Mary, and all this may not seem to him so very much like a dream as it does to me. If he tells me it is all real, I shall believe it. And with these words, and his fine face glowing with all the best and happiest feelings of our nature, Michael bounded from the presence of his benefactress to seek his brother. I might have lived a good while in my fine house at Milford, and received a prodigious number of complimentary visits from my elegant neighbors, before I should have enjoyed half an hour as I have done this, thought the happy Mary Brotherton as she strolled out through an open window that led to a little garden of orange trees. How delicious is the air this morning! But where was the climate, where at that moment she would have felt it to be otherwise?' Michael had no difficulty in finding his brother, who in truth was lingering near, on purpose to question him after this interview. "'Come with me, Edward,' cried the agitated boy, seizing his arm. "'Here are our hats. Come with me into that little grove yonder. My heart will burst if I do not instantly tell you what has passed.' And arm in arm they crossed the road, and a small enclosure opposite, and there found themselves under the shelter of a little wood, thick enough to exclude the peering eyes of mortals, as well as that of the sun.' Notwithstanding their eagerness for the communication which was to follow, and which was pretty equally strong in both, not a word was uttered by either till they reached this covert, and then Michael, throwing himself upon a bank, and casting his hat away, clasped his hands and raising his eyes to heaven, exclaimed, ''Edward, she is an angel!'' Edward had not followed his brother's example in lying down, but stood before him in act to listen, but there was something in these words that seemed to shake him, for he turned away without answering. "'Has she ever named to you her plans about me?' resumed Michael. "'Yes,' replied Edward. "'Then you know that it is not her intention to assist me by enabling me to learn any trade in handicraft?' "'No such idea, Michael, ever entered her head,' said Edward gravely. "'But, my dear fellow, you seem to take all this so very coolly.' Do you know that it is her intention to send me to the same place where your education was completed? Do you know that she gives up—no—that she postpones her journey to Italy till I am ready to go with her? Edward, do you know all this? My dear brother, replied Edward, I only know that from the moment she learnt you were alive, she determined that she would immediately make you perfectly independent, as she has done me. All the rest, I think, depended upon your own inclination— and had she not found you disposed for this scheme, she would not have insisted upon it. "Disposed for it, Edward!" "Oh, what cold, what chilling words!" "You could not speak so if you thought there were any hope of my so profiting by it as to become a fit companion for you, for her, for Fanny!" "But it is too late-you feel that it is too late, is it not so, Edward?" "No, Michael, no!" returned Edward, with sudden animation. With your faculties, your eager desire to learn, and the masters you will have to put you in the way of doing so, I know that the result of these two years of study will be all you wish, and all your friends can desire. Then how can you receive this glorious news, my Edward, so composedly? First, dear Michael, because it is no news to me. And secondly, because I am a selfish wretch, and was thinking perhaps more of my own interest than of yours. Forgive me for it, my own dear Michael." but I would rather have it decided that we should have both marched off and taken service under the Emperor of Austria. I know that commissions would have been obtained for us. Michael, as his brother uttered these words, looked up into his face with an expression of such astonishment and dismay that the blood rushed to Edward's face and he turned away to conceal his confusion. Edward, you are a mystery to me, exclaimed Michael, springing upon his feet and taking his brother by the arm. CAN IT BE POSSIBLE THAT YOU ARE WEARY OF THE LIFE YOU LEAD? OH, HEAVEN, AND SUCH A LIFE! WEARY, I AM WEARY OF IT, MICHAEL, WEARY OF RISING EVERY DAY TO FEEL THAT I AM A WRETCH UNWORTHY TO BREATHE THE BREATH OF LIFE ANYWHERE, AND OH, HOW UTTERLY UNWORTHY TO BREATHE IT HERE! IT WAS NOW POOR MICHAEL'S TURN TO CHANGE COLOR, AND HE DID SO PRETTY VIOLENTLY, FOR FIRST HE BECAME VERY RED, AND THEN EXCEEDINGLY PALE. That Edward, such as he had ever remembered him, such as he found him now, that he should so very solemnly declare himself to be a wretch unworthy of life, was a horror and a misery as terrible as it was unexpected. He had no power to utter any soothing in contradiction to this appalling statement, for, alas, it might be true. And Michael's heart sunk within him as he remembered how totally ignorant he was of everything that might enable him to disbelieve it. Silently the brothers walked on for some paces, side by side. They were both of them either unwilling or unable to speak. At length a sort of shuddering emotion that passed through Michael's frame made it itself felt by the arm of Edward, which he still held, and then he stopped, and without raising his eyes from the ground said, ''Michael, how is it you understand me? Do you suppose that I have been guilty of some criminal act, such as Doom's man, to the gallows? If not, why do you shudder thus?'' Would you not shudder, Edward, if you heard me say that I was a wretch unworthy to live? Poor Michael, perhaps I might, but still I doubt if I should understand the phrase as you do. It is so difficult, so impossible to express temperately and soberly my own reprobation of the feelings that destroy me. And yet, dear Michael, he continued more tranquilly, I could have fancied that there was something working in your own heart which might have taught you in some degree to guess the state of mine. I have no strength, no courage to enter on the guilty subject fully. But, that you may not think me a felon, Michael, I will tell you in one audacious word, I love, and that with a fervor, a vehemence of passion, that often makes me tremble at myself. For did it ever master me so far as to force a confession of it in the presence of its object, I never could look up again, but must and would for ever become an alien from all I love. And a friendless wanderer on the face of the earth, Though shocked more deeply than he had any wish or power to express, Michael could not resist the belief, which came with terrible strength upon him, that his unhappy brother had conceived a passion for some married woman, and that his best chance of recovering both his virtue and his tranquillity would be by following the wish he had expressed, and by entering on a new and active career to give himself a chance of obliterating from his mind the feelings which had so unhappily taken possession of it. Such a destination for Edward must, of course, destroy some of the very brightest of his own beautiful daydreams. But there was a fund of integrity and real goodness in the heart of Michael that permitted him not at that moment to think of himself. Edward, said he solemnly, if this be so, follow the course that your better feelings have suggested. Adopt at once the profession of a soldier. It has ever been accounted a noble one, though under happier circumstances, but that matters not. If your passions have led you wrong, let your principles bring you back again. Confess the truth to your generous benefactress at once. Michael, replied Edward, looking into his face with an expression of suffering that almost amounted to agony, I would rather die first. These words seemed intended to close the conversation, or at any rate they did so, for the two brothers silently retraced their path to the house and a fond pressure, expressive of love and pity. WHICH MICHAEL GAVE TO THE ARM OF EDWARD BEFORE HE PARTED FROM IT WAS ALL THAT PASSED BETWEEN THEM FURTHER AT THAT TIME. THE INTERVIEW OF THAT MORNING WITH MISS BROTHERTON HAD AWAKENED IN THE MIND OF MICHAEL FEELINGS TOWARDS HER WHICH AN HOUR BEFORE HE WOULD HAVE THOUGHT IT MUST HAVE TAKEN YEARS TO PRODUCE. BUT BEING EQUALLY SINCERE, BOTH IN HIS FORMER TIMIDITY AND HIS PRESENT CONFIDENCE, HE SPEEDILY MADE UP HIS MIND TO OPEN HIS HEART TO HER, AND DO FOR HIS GUILTY BUT SUFFERING BROTHER WHAT IT WAS EVIDENT HE HAD NOT COURAGE TO DO FOR HIMSELF. In pursuance of this resolution, he again sought the heiress and whispered in her ear, ''Mary, will you let me talk to you a little more?'' She eagerly complied with the implied invitation, and passing her arm through his, accompanied him to the scene of their former tete-a-tete. There was no shyness on the part of Michael. The familiar appellation he had used was not assumed for the purpose of proving his obedience, but resulted from a genuine feeling of affectionate confidence in every word she had uttered, and which had left on his mind the belief that she was not only his generous patroness, but his loving friend. "'I little thought when I was talking to you this morning about my poor self,' he said, "'that I should so soon have to take you away again from your drawing to talk about Edward.' "'About Edward?' said Mary, colouring. "'What do you wish to say about him, dear Michael?' "'It is something that he declares he would die "'rather than say to you himself,' replied Michael. "'But I am certain that you ought to know it, "'for it is quite clear that there is no chance of happiness for him "'unless you agree to his wishes.' "'What wishes?' exclaimed the heiress, terribly agitated. "'For goodness' sake, Michael, do not trifle with me. "'Did Edward commission you to speak to me?' "'Oh, no! Had he felt the courage to do that, "'I should have told him at once that he had better do it himself,' "'replied Michael.' Indeed, I fear greatly that he will be displeased with me, but I cannot bear to see him so miserable without mentioning it to the only person capable of helping him. Miserable? Helping him? Tell me, Michael, tell me at once what you mean. That is exactly what I wish to do, dear Mary, replied Michael, looking with considerable surprise at her varying color and agitated features, but I fear I am doing wrong and that I have already said something that vexes you. No, no, cried Mary impatiently. "'Only go on.' "'In one word, then,' resumed Michael, "'our dear Edward wishes beyond all things to enter the Austrian service.' "'And leave us,' returned the heiress, almost gasping. "'Does Edward want to leave me?' "'Do not suspect him of ingratitude, Mary,' cried Michael eagerly. "'There is a reason for it, and without this I am quite sure he would never think of such a thing. "'Edward has conceived an unfortunate passion for an object from whom he ought to fly.' and this, of course, will explain everything to you. Let me see him, let me hear him. From himself and from himself only I can hear this. Let it mean what it may." On uttering these words which were spoken with a very agitated and untranquil air, Mary Brotherton rushed out of the room much to Michael's astonishment, for he could by no means comprehend why she should testify such very strong emotion especially as he had so cautiously and delicately avoided hinting anything about a married woman's being unhappily the object of his brother's passion. In this ignorance of Michael's, the reader, I am very sorry to say, must share. There are some facts which no wise historian will ever venture to dilate upon, lest their strangeness should provoke incredulity. And great wisdom is shown by such forbearance. For it is infinitely better than an enlightened public should be driven to exclaim, How very obscure this passage is, then, how very improbable! Michael Armstrong is the hero of the book that is now drawing rapidly to its conclusion, and every reader has therefore a right to expect that his destiny shall be plainly announced to them, whatever mystery may hang over that of others. Whatever occurred between the heiress and Edward in the conference which they speedily held together, it did not cause any alteration in that lady's purpose of immediately returning to her chateau upon the Rhine." A man of worth and great ability was engaged to take charge of the richly teeming eager mind of Michael, during the two years that it was settled he should remain at a German university, and nothing could be more satisfactory than the result of this arrangement. Never, perhaps, were two years put to greater profit in the development of mind than upon this occasion. And, when they were ended, Michael Armstrong was able to take his station upon the beautiful terrace without feeling that he was out of place there." Less than these two years had sufficed to bring to perfection all Mary Brotherton's plans for improving and beautifying her spacious residence. It was one of those superterranean quarries which are sometimes seen to spread themselves to such miraculous extent in that region, and would have inspired most ladies with a feeling of dreary vastness which, notwithstanding the exceeding beauty of its position, would have prevented any hope of rendering it comfortably habitable. But Mary had an ample heart and an ample purse circumstances over which, to use a thoroughly authorized expression, she had no control, for in truth they had preceded her birth, had rendered her own country less dear to her than it is to most others, and she therefore not only determined to plant herself elsewhere, but to do so in such a manner as would enable her to make her new abode her home, in the best sense of the word, and this could only be done by giving, ample room and verge enough, to make it the home of others also." Any travellers lucky enough to light upon this widely spreading but comfortable and thoroughly well-kept-up abode will find that, notwithstanding its great extent, it has by no means the air of being uninhabited. Nobody will be much surprised to hear that Michael Armstrong and Fanny Fletcher became man and wife, or that they proved a loving and very happy pair. But should any curious Rhenish tourist obtain an introduction to this Ringhow paradise— they will probably observe two very loving and happy pairs to whom it serves as a common yet in some sort a separate home each having its suite of drawing rooms boudoirs nurseries schoolrooms etc but however much a gossiping inclination might lead to a more explicit detail there is really no room left to enter upon it all that can be said in addition to this is that when Sir Matthew Dowling's affairs came to be wound up, there was discovered to be a sufficient surplus to afford a small independence to each of his children, which, being divided according to the proportion dictated by the knight's will, gave something approaching to a Benjamin's mess portion to his daughter Martha. To claim and receive this, as well as occasionally to visit some members of her family, Martha made frequent excursions to England. But her happiest hours were those she passed with her dear friends in Germany, by whom she has ever received with open arms. Mrs. Tremlett is still enjoying an old age of perfect comfort, cheered by warm affection, and is already the darling of many little hearts. There is no record to be found in any documents relating to the inhabitants of the chateau, showing that Edward Armstrong ever entered the Austrian service. It is therefore most reasonable to suppose that this wish was never complied with. End of chapter 33 End of the Life and Adventures of Michael Armstrong, the Factory Boy, by Francis Milton Trollope. Recorded by Celine Major.